Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Chris Olson. Chris is the co-founder and partner at Drive Capital. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. One, there's a lot of things going on that you can talk about that are near and dear to my heart. But first, let's let the audience know a little bit about Drive Capital. I know that probably a lot of our audience is familiar with it, given where we are in the Midwest and that. But why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in this venture capital scene in the Midwest? Sure. So Drive is a venture firm based in Columbus, and we have $550 million under management that we are focused on investing in Midwest startup companies. And they range in size and scale, but the primary characteristic is that these are founders and entrepreneurs who are building world-class companies on a global level, but they're doing it here. And it's a little bit surprising to folks when I tell them that, because most people expect mostly all of the innovation is happening in Silicon Valley. And that's really what I used to believe too, because prior to this, I was a a partner in Sequoia investing in companies in Silicon Valley and really found that to be an epicenter of innovation. But I think what we've seen is that as a lot of these trends have evolved, that if you're really serious about building a company, if you're really serious about being successful with that company, you've got to put it in the place where it has the best chance of being successful. And ultimately, that's going to be wherever your customers are and wherever you can get the talent to come and help you build your business. So in 2012, we founded Drive because we just kept seeing that there were more and more amazing founders and amazing engineers and proximity to customers here in the Midwest than there was in any other corner of the world. And so we founded the firm because we believe that while the the last 50 years have been good to the Midwest, that... In the next five years, you're going to see more billion-dollar companies than you have in the prior 50. And we wanted to be investors in that to help founders go out and capture all the potential that, that's ahead of them. Absolutely. And you guys kind of came out of the gates differently than a lot of other folks that I've seen. You came out, obviously, with a big fund. I mean, uh, especially big for the Midwest, a $250 million fund, I believe, was the first one that you announced and subsequently gone on to reach the second fund in that. But what made you decide that, hey, we're going to go super big here versus, hey, we're going to start a $20 million seed fund and kind of grow from there and prove out the model? Well, I, I disagree with the sentiment that's a big fund. I actually think it's tiny. <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is you got to remember- Compared to the valley, correct. I, it is. But you know, think about the opportunity set that's here. People don't necessarily always think about it this way. But if you define it by GDP, the Midwest would be the fourth largest economy in the world, bigger than Brazil, bigger than Russia, bigger than India. And actually, when we started this six years ago, it was the fifth largest economy in the world. So it's, it's even one of the fastest growing economies on planet Earth. And so to have a $250 million fund going after the, the fourth largest economy in the world, like if I told you I was doing that in India, people would be like, dude, why, why are you raising such a small fund? So I think relative to the potential that's here, this place will unlock as more capital starts to come into the region. So, I, I mean, I would love to see 10 drive capital size funds that are here. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, a billion or a billion five just in later stage venture firms that are here, because I think that if we start to invest more in 
what is all the potential that's here. I, I think it's just going to go that much faster, but it's hard to convince folks to do that. And so Absolutely. we're going to raise more funds down the road and, and we'll try and make them a little bit bigger and continue to invest in that because we see the potential here. The reason that LPs are going to do it is because they can make more money investing in Midwest venture firms than they can in Silicon Valley. And we're here to, to prove that that's possible. I totally agree. I like the thesis. Obviously in 2012, a lot of people probably thought you're crazy. And even, I mean, if you look at annually, what is it, $50 billion or whatever is invested in Silicon Valley venture capital there versus like three to five billion in the Midwest in general. So it's definitely not even scales at this particular time, but I agree with you that the opportunities are there. What makes you think that the opportunities, you, you talked a little bit about like GDP and, and customers are out here in the Midwest and businesses have been built for hundreds of years in the Midwest. What makes you think that it's ripe at the right time for some of these new technologies and new innovations to be created here in the Midwest? Well, I think there's a couple ingredients to it. Look, the Midwest has always been cheaper than Silicon Valley. Historically, the reason that I believe startup companies have been so successful in Silicon Valley has been because they really required a specialized engineering skill set that only existed in Silicon Valley and in large quantities. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you look back at the types of companies, look at like Intel, look at Cisco. I mean, these are technology infrastructure companies and the engineers who knew how to build that super specialized infrastructure, you could follow their lineage going back to the semiconductor companies. By contrast, today, what's happened with the advent of cloud computing is that, you know, if I met at a company and they came in and they said, here's our servers and we constructed the hardware ourselves, you'd be like, guys, come on, it's a total waste of time. Right. You don't need to do that. You can rent that for as much or as little as you want from Jeff Bezos and you're up and running. Focus your time on what makes your company successful. That flip, that access, that kind of commoditized, democratized access to that technical specialty is over the internet is now what is unlocking all of these other geographies. And it's not just the Midwest. I mean, I think it's also places like China. I think it's also places like Europe where you're seeing some of the most valuable companies in the world emerge as entrepreneurs, the founders are welding their insights into a particular market where they've got a lot of domain knowledge with a next generation technology capability. And they're able to deliver things like cheaper car insurance or better healthcare or you know, taxi rides. I, I think those are the kinds of trends that you're seeing produce the most valuable companies. If you look at where those industries are situated, where that domain knowledge exists, where that GDP sits, I see more here than I, I see in any other corner of the world. And I see in a completely asynchronous balance of venture capital towards that opportunity that we have here. And, and that's what makes it such an exciting time here. I, I totally agree. The idea that this technology platform is available and accessible by everybody now, you don't have to build that out. And through that technology, you now have access to markets that you didn't have access to before, where you had to be local to access those customers. And now it's a, it's a global marketplace, definitely changing the dynamics. What are the technologies or particular vertical markets that you're most excited about either investing in or seeing in the future here? Lots in artificial intelligence, lots in robotics. Robotics has been a particularly rich vein for us. Lots in the insurance vertical where you're seeing the value of unstructured databases unlock the potential of next generation risk models. And then lots in, in education tech where people through a digital educational interface are, are able to produce a higher level of teaching than has historically been, been available. I think those are the markets where we're spending the most time these days. So you're based in Columbus, Ohio. You're five years in, you've raised a second fund, you've invested in a number of different portfolio companies. What's changed most or what's 
the most important thing you've learned over the last five years, kind of kickstarting this? We've made a ton of mistakes. And I, I think one of the mistakes that we started out making was we really replicated a 100% of the Silicon Valley approach in the Midwest. And I think we've learned that, that that's a mistake. And, and what I mean by that is you cannot build companies here under the assumption that capital is unlimited. Companies here have been able to raise over $500 million in follow-on financings from other investors, but they've really only been able to do that because they've been able to hit milestones and scale that can convince a coastal investor that the opportunity here is one or two levels better than what they can get in Silicon Valley. And they have to believe that because they, by definition, to invest in one of our companies, they have to distract themselves away from their primary business, which is investing in these other companies on the coast. As a result of that, you know, we've really learned to focus with our companies and, and focus with our teams on how to very quickly establish whether or not these products are working and then to iterate on them and, and scrap them if they're not working. As opposed to, I think in you know, Silicon Valley, there's kind of a, well, you know, if top tier venture firm X does your series A, you're guaranteed to be round because they always invest in the fallen rounds of these five firms. You know, that doesn't happen here. Like the only way it happens here is if you've actually hit these milestones. That's been a, an adjustment for us. I think the second thing that's been a adjustment for us is, you know, when I, I first got here, I thought that we would have to import a lot of talent from the coasts to come and work at our startup companies, that people needed that startup experience to be successful in startups. And we've proven the opposite. We've proven that mm. you actually have a much better success rate here of taking folks who work in, in the existing companies and the existing businesses that are here, retrain them into the mode of, a, of the startup, and then give them the opportunity to be successful. The folks that we've done that with now you know, have been far more successful than our efforts to transplant people from the coast. And it's not that we haven't done that. We've, we've transplanted dozens of people here. But if you really look at the engine of talent and our portfolio now has over 3,500 people in it, almost all of them are coming from Midwesterners who are, are saying, look, I'd rather go and work on a startup opportunity that I previously thought was super scary and convince them that this is their opportunity. And in doing so, are able to unlock these labor pools that I think were initially, we felt like they were going to be higher friction to success. I think now we feel like they're our strongest assets. That's really interesting, you know, because you think about, there are a lot of people, my friends, my peers that have gone away and, and to other markets to kind of learn some stuff and boomerang back to the Midwest. It's interesting to see you're saying that companies, startups around here have access to talent that doesn't necessarily want to go to the coast to work. Can you give me an example of where that's really worked well? You know, one of our more successful companies is a company here that's called Root Insurance. And this is a company that uses telematics from the data they can garner from your smartphone to figure out if you're a good or bad driver. And if you're a good driver, give you a car insurance quote that's going to be 50 or 70% cheaper than the traditional outlets. It's a company that they are growing like crazy and have been in a position where they've not been able to hire enough people to keep up with the kind of growth that they're seeing. And we brought in some folks from the coast, but our head of product there is a woman named Lauren. She is probably the most unlikely background. She worked in product for nationwide insurance prior to doing it at Root. On the surface, most startups would dismiss that resume because they would say they're going to struggle to have a flexible thinking that a startup needs. They're going to struggle to take the risk that you need to take in a startup. They're going to struggle to operate with no resources that you have to do in a startup. 
She has emerged to be, I think, probably the best product manager and product now the, the chief product officer at Root that I've ever seen, whether here or Silicon Valley or in anywhere other corner of the world. So I think you're finding these folks. And, and the good news is there are a lot more people who have worked in jobs like the one that Lauren was in prior to working at Root than there, there are people who are willing to necessarily even consider moving from the coasts to these Midwestern cities. Are you seeing a lot of change with regard to the existing businesses, you know, the old time industries that are in the backyards of Midwest towns nowadays? Is the presence of venture capital and presence of some of these startups changing the way the existing industries are thinking or moving? No, not yet. I think it's a matter of time until some of these companies are going to wake up to the amount of change that's going on and they're going to survive. I think the most of the companies around these Midwest cities are going to face a issue of irrelevance in, you know, in the next five to 10 years. And, you know, my whole thing is if, if you don't like disruption, you're going to hate irrelevance. So, so around that, so a lot of the, our, our listeners are on the corporate innovation front, trying to figure these things out for larger corporations. What are some of the things that you would recommend that they either look for or do to kind of prepare themselves for some of this disruption that you're seeing? I think they should stop it. I mean, I think they should stop <laughs> trying to be venture capitalists because, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, no matter how much money corporation X, you know, let's even, let's take like, what's the most successful corporate venture firm on the planet? You pick the one that you want. How much did that successful venture firm, how much did that move the earnings per share of that corporation? Like, it's going to be a de minimis amount. Like these companies are so big and they have a primary mission that is to use their existing products to wow their customers and try and generate more revenues and income over time. It'd be foolish of me to say, you know what, I'm going to start a division here at Drive Capital that starts producing competitive product in the consumer packaged goods space. You know, it's just going to be a division of what we do. We're just going to put a couple people on it and we're going to put, you know, 1% of our budget into it. People would laugh at that. They would say it's ridiculous. There are purpose-built organizations with hundreds and thousands of people going out there and doing it. So, you know, to me, it just makes no sense to think that this is going to be something that the corporations are going to be great at. It's not to say that corporations can't innovate. It's not to say that corporations cannot work with startups. But the corporations I've seen that have had the most success investing in and getting innovation out of the startup world have been the ones who've said, look, we're really good at what we're going to get and what we know. And what we're, we're going to do is we're going to invest in venture capital firms that we're going to have economic upside in. And as part of that partnership, we're going to anticipate that you know they're going to share with us some of their best companies and their best innovation, and they're going to help us appreciate this stuff. But I think doing it inside of corporations is tough. You know, my partnership makes decisions on whether or not we're going to invest in, in companies within one week. Most right. corporations are going to struggle to do it within one quarter, and even that would feel like they're moving fairly fast. So we have to be honest about what we're trying to get out of this and, and what's going to make us successful. On that front then, so if corporate venture is not the right track, but obviously they have to do something to avoid this disruption that's going on, is it focused more on talent and training and getting the people within the organizations to think and move and act more like startups? Is that a potential path? Well, maybe. I mean, I, but I don't know. I mean, I think that the way that you build a startup is going to be very different than the way that an established brand is going to build itself. The things that you need to do, the risks that you need to take as a startup require a, a different skill set than you're going to have in a corporation. A perfect example, you know, inside of a startup, the more time you spend planning 
and anticipating and replanning, the more you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to be right. successful. You, you've got to make decisions with no information. And your expectation isn't that there must be more data out there. We just don't have it yet. The expectation has to be, the default has to be that, look, this doesn't exist yet. We haven't invented this yet. I'm just going to invent it right now and we're going to go this way. Why are you going that way? Because I'm the CEO and I say so and we're just doing it. I think that mentality inside of big corporations would arguably be poisonous. And, you know, I don't think that would be a, a successful strategy because they have more assets. They've got more visibility. They've got more data. And they're going to be more successful in using that data to go out and identify uh, opportunities for their customers. If you're a startup founder, listen to our show and been inspired by some of the stuff that you've been talking about in that. What's the best way to get a hold of you or find out more about Drive Capital or some of the interesting things that you're seeing on the landscape? I'm an open book. You can email me anytime on chris at drivecapital.com. We've got a list of all kinds of stuff that we're up to on our website, www.drivecapital.com. And just reach out anytime and I'd be happy to connect. Excellent. Chris, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Looking forward to seeing what's coming out of the Midwest and other places around the world when it comes to innovation. And thanks for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.